What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Uh, Black Rifle, man, I can't talk. Black Rifle, I'm super excited. I'm just going to get it out here right now. I'm super excited because I'm editing this episode just a few hours before uh, I head out hunting for the weekend. So uh, you'll hear about that, I'm sure, uh, in a few few uh, future episode, or if you're following me on Instagram, um, it's pretty much been my uh, my life, it seems, the past uh, couple of weekends going out with one of my buddies. But Black Rifle, uh, they hopped on board with the show just a couple days ago, and I'm super excited. I love what they're doing for the community, kind of all what they stand for. I've been really fortunate to have met several folks, and amazing people. Um, so I'll definitely be uh, taking a couple uh, little steep bags with me out this weekend because we're doing some backpack hunts and stuff. So I'm super excited because great size, easy, lightweight, full of caffeine, ready to go. Um, be sure to uh, to use code Vanguard for 20%. 20%. It's crazy. Use Vanguard for 20% off uh, your first order, which is awesome. And that would include subscriptions. Little did you know. Um, but beyond that, uh, I think the only other update is with everything that's been going on in Afghanistan, um, I did put together a fundraiser uh, that we're going to run through uh, mid-November or mid-September. So that ends on 9-15. So if you're interested in um, supporting a cause in some way, shape, or form, um, there is a, a logo on my website that any any merch you purchase with that logo, all profits from that will be donated um, to an organization called Arc Salus. And they've been actively involved in helping people find refuge, kind of get to safety, among other things, um, over in Afghanistan. Um, so like I said, uh, I'll link that in the episode description. That'll be running through 915. Um, but beyond that, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I sat down with uh, Vanessa, who uh, is big into... Um, teaching, practicing, educating folks on um, holistic health and wellness and healing, something that I am not super attuned to, um, which I think you'll quickly find out because I try and ask some questions of her that I, you can tell that I stumble over, but it's a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I think Vanessa, when you listen, it's kind of funny because after we talked, I was starting to get a headache a couple days later and I was going for the Advil and I decided to slam some water instead just because of kind of what we talked about. And uh, lo and behold, my headache went away. So it's kind of funny. I think that'll make sense as you guys listen to it. But uh, yeah, uh, otherwise, please feel free to like, subscribe, review the show, hit me up on Instagram, but uh, let's roll it. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you joining for the first time, uh, my name is Austin Jardine, and um, I'm just a dude out in Boise, Idaho that uh, likes to sit and talk to people. I like to get their stories uh, in the effort of sharing who they are, what they've done, how they've gotten to where they're at, and uh, with the goal of hopefully hopefully getting you maybe some tools, new ways of thinking, um, maybe a reference point to, to leverage down the road so that maybe you can take the next step, find something new to get excited about, get interested in. Whatever the case may be, may be, it's late. I'm recording with Vanessa at, oh man, it's it's 6.30 my time and uh, I've had a busy day. So we're going to see how this goes. But Vanessa, thank you for hopping on. I'm excited to chat. We had a, it was funny last week we called and um, I was thinking that we were recording. You were thinking we were just going to bullshit to kind of get connected. Totally misunderstood. So here we are round two, see how it goes. Thanks for having me, Austin. It's a <laughs> pleasure to be here. You bet. I know the, it's the, and now the intro's out of the way, super awkward, but Vanessa, 
you've got a lot going on. You've been through a lot of things and we had a mutual friend kind of get me pointed to you to get us connected. So I'm excited to kind of hear your story. So do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got to where you're at? And then typically I'll just interrupt as you go and we'll just kind of shoot the shit for a little while. So I, I could say where I'm at now will probably give a little bit of a foundation for, for how I got here. Uh, but my name's Vanessa Cafiero. I'm an owner of two businesses uh, as of recent because my first business was shut down in the, the height of the, the COVID pandemic. I, um, this March will be 10 years that my wellness center is open. It started as a smaller facility. I was a massage therapist, a yoga teacher, and a health coach. And then my 2000 square foot facility that I opened in 2012 now is 6,200 square foot. And we are a full on wellness center offering holistic options to healthcare. I'm an acupuncturist as well. Uh, We offer float therapy, infrared saunas, something called scalar energy treatments, which are really good to help regulate the nervous system. And for a lot of people who are looking for an alternative to Western medicine or just a more holistic approach, beyond that, I see a lot of clients and patients personally and at my facility where Western medicine didn't have any more options for them. And, and then sometimes people don't just start off with the natural route. They, they come to it out of desperation as a last chance. That's sure. basically what, what I offer for people now. My, my second business is a food truck. When I was told that holistic <laughs> healthcare was non-essential during COVID and I was not able to operate my business, I, uh, I took my small business loan and I opened up a second business because I <laughs> deemed myself very essential. And now I have a food truck called Yoked. Um, ironically, uh, it's a brunch food truck. We serve eggs, <laughs> but the, the root word that yoga comes from is a Sanskrit word. It's huge where if you break down the etymology, it means to yoke or to unite or to bring things together. Interesting. A little bit of a double on <laughs> my yoga studio. I opened up the yoked food truck and we were able, but by the time I got it open, my, my wellness center was open. So that, that's what I do now. I, I run a wellness center. I treat patients for holistic healthcare and I, uh, I co-run a food truck. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> that's where I am. <laughs> so did you know that you were going to always get into, um, the, the holistic medicine and then food truck, or, or was there, I guess, some, some alternative path that you were trying to go down in the beginning? It's, it's funny. I, I tease and I say, when I was younger, I was a very weird kid. I would watch either cooking shows. When, when I was younger, it was like Emerald was like the only cooking show. <laughs> Bam, and then I watched like Boss, you know, the painter. <laughs> and initially when I went to college, I went to art school for creative writing. So I, you know, always saw myself as an artist and, and I, I love to cook, but that was just something I, I did on the, the side. I never would have saw myself getting into the, the food industry. And uh, as a teenager, I was someone who experienced chronic pain. At 12, 13 years old, I was in the chiropractor three days a week to be able to walk up a flight of stairs. I wow. had so much back pain. And um, probably around 14, 15 years old, I had a, a chiropractor tell me that my scoliosis was severe and that I probably needed to have spine surgery. Otherwise, he told me I'd have a hunchback by the time I was in my early 20s. Wow. Okay. Now, 
I, you know, I was born in 1986. So we'll think, you know, 14, this is like before, you know, like maybe just like late nineties, early two thousands that this was going on. And, and yoga was not popular then, even mm-hmm. though like yoga is, is big now there, there was maybe like two little places and it was definitely not what you're seeing today. Yeah. But I was uh, someone who always did martial arts growing up. My, my dad back in the nineties was New York state champion for kickboxing and form. Oh, so that was just big in our family. And, and because I didn't see it at the time, but because I was always doing karate and Kung Fu, that kind of stuff, we do a lot of stretching and breathing. And I heard about yoga and I heard about doing more stretching might help my back. So at like 14, I took my first yoga class. I was afraid of doctors. I always had like this fear of going to the doctor. I definitely did not want to have surgery. And I was just, you know, I didn't even know what it meant to be holistic at the time, but I just wanted to do things that were going to help me get out of pain. So I was very lucky. My parents were supportive. I probably start, started going for massages at 14 or 15 years old. And I noticed they helped. The yoga helped a little bit too. And uh, at, I was going to say maybe, well, it's actually a little bit of a, a, a long story even going into that. I, you know, I was one of those kids that believe it or not, I was doing holistic stuff, but I, I did a lot of drugs. I got really good grades. So I got away with a lot of doing a lot of drugs. You know, I remember it's funny. The first time my mom found pot in my room, she like picked it up. She's like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, it's weed. She's like, that's going to make you stupid. And I just remember looking at my mother. I'm like, I have a 4.0 average. And she just looked at me like, you know, like, what am I going to say to that? I'm like, obviously I'm fine. But I, you know, I was one of those kids that I was doing things naturally. I mean, not that like, you know, weed's natural, but I was also doing a lot of things that were probably a little bit self-destructive at the time. Sure. It's funny, our, our mutual friend, Nicole, I met her, you know, as a teenager, just trying to get more into fitness and do things to be healthy when I was, you know, drinking a lot on the side. She was my first <laughs> That's how we met. And, uh, you know, interesting. I initially, I mentioned, I went to college for creative writing. I always wanted to be an artist or a writer and, and, and stuff like that. And my first year in college, it's, it's a long story short, I had like a boyfriend of mine commit suicide. And it was, it was one of those things where I was like, just it put into perspective everything that I was doing or not doing in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I'd love to say that that was like my, my quote unquote, come to Jesus moment, as my mom would say. But after sure. he, he killed himself, I, was, I, I went to Costa Rica to do volunteer work. I ended up thinking I was going to do something good. And they have a lot of cocaine in Costa Rica. And I ended up just like partying and doing lots of drugs and grieving in really unhealthy ways. And by the time that I I got back home, that was a sabbatical from college. I went back to art school in Manhattan and I was just, I was so miserable. I like, was like really not happy with my life. And I was like, I need to do something different. And it just came to me. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, go and be a massage therapist. My real intent at the time was I knew I saw on friends that Phoebe was a massage therapist and she didn't have a boss. And I just didn't want to work for anybody. I was living <laughs> in Brooklyn at the time. I'm like, I could be a writer and I could be a massage. And I was like, I'm just going to do something different. And, and really, I, I guess I'm like one of those extreme people. Like if I do something, I do it all the way. So like when I did drugs, I got the best drugs. When I partied, I partied hard. When I decided to go to massage school, I, I'm not joking. I think it was January 7th, uh, 
2007 maybe that the program started. Okay. So New Year's Eve 2006, I blew my last line of cocaine. I became a vegan. I stopped drinking coffee. I stopped smoking cigarettes. I moved to Ithaca, New York, and I went to massage school, becoming a straight edge. All, all, all at once. All at once. I was so, like, like, like I didn't just stop doing drugs. I became a vegan. I'm like, I don't know what came over me. How did you do drugs. that? Like, that's like, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. All at oh, once, no, no. cold turkey. You just did it? Everything. Well, I stopped smoking cigarettes because, and then I had to stop drinking coffee because coffee made me want a cigarette. And I stopped drinking alcohol because alcohol made me want a cigarette. And then I was like, now I'm going to do healthy things. I'm like, I'm just going to be a vegan because why not? It's spiritual. I was like getting into yoga. So I <laughs> went from like one extreme to another. I moved up to Ithaca, New York. I went to this little hippie massage school. I'm thinking I'm going to learn about rubbing people's shoulders. Ooh. And on the very first day there, they wanted to teach us about energy work. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is this? They made us be with people energetically before we were allowed to touch them. And it was one of those, it was a seven month intensive. Usually massage school is two years in New York and an associate's degree. Okay. I did it in seven months. So it was- wow. You basically Nine to five, lived there. Yeah. five days a week till 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night for clinic hours. It was wow. 2,000 hours in seven months that we did. Oh my God. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was 20 years old. I was able to go move up there. I, I didn't really have other things going on. And when I was there, I, I did everything. I became a Reiki master. I did a six-month course in herbal medicine. I, you know, figured out that there was a natural way to live. Like I had like tastes of it before. And I'll tell you, by the time I got out of massage school, the majority of my back pain was gone. And it wasn't just from getting massage. Okay. And it wasn't just from doing yoga. And I started doing yoga every day. My, my best friend there was a yoga teacher and we'd, you know, do pranayama and stretching, you know, in the mornings before yeah. after class. But I realized that there was actually an emotional component to the pain that I had in my body. Okay. And I never really made that much of a connection that I was like, oh my God, how you think and how you feel actually influences what's going on physically, mm -hmm. which, you know, sounds like people talk about a mind body connection, but it's really incredible until you experience. I was like, I would go into a massage clinic. Someone would rub an area. All of a sudden I'm sobbing, crying. And then this pain I had for 15 years was gone. You know what you would like dub as witchcraft. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. But, so, but it was incredibly healing. Yeah. So how did you, how did you, man, I feel like I have a question because that's a, oh God, I totally just lost it. But like, how did you, how did you kind of come to terms with um, understanding the emotional connection between the physical pain? I think for me, it's just experiencing that that was something it like you can intellectually understand like, oh, there's, you could hold stress in your body. Your shoulders go up to your ears when you have a stressful day and then you have back pain. But yeah. I don't think I realized how much my physical manifestations, even down to my scoliosis and my back pain were really a byproduct of what was going on up here. Okay. And it's interesting. I remember I, I forgot about this till I'm talking about it. There was an acupuncturist I went to go see for my allergies when I was up in Ithaca. And she, like, she must've been like a spiritual healer or something. And she touched my back and she's like, your curve. And she said to me, she's like, did you drown when you were younger? And I was like, I did. How did you know? Like, I just saw an image. She's like, this is because you were fighting for your life when you drowned. And I was like, 
That's so nuts. And I actually drowned as a kid. And it was something that like, I didn't have like too much drama around. I was pulled out. I was resuscitated. It was like one of those near death experiences, but big deal. Yeah. I guess I was like seven. I like got over it quick. You know, I got ice cream. I was fine. You know? <laughs> and you know, I, I guess I never associated it until I was like, okay, well, something was brought to my awareness. I had an emotional process and then pain that I got so used to was gone. And I'm like, oh man, this is something to really look into. So when I finished massage school, I ended up like I was doing a ton of yoga at that point. I came home. I did a health coaching certification. I did a yoga teacher training. I was I immediately went into private practice as a massage therapist. I'm 35 next week. This is when I was 20 years old. So 15 years ago. Nice. And the so I'm like a little bit of a hustler. I finished my first yoga teacher training. This was in 2009, maybe. And um So I finished my first yoga teacher training. I'm ready working as a massage therapist. It was on a Sunday. I picked up my first class on a Thursday. And and then I had to go do an in-home massage. It was Memorial Day weekend, 2009. And on my way home, I drove a little stick shift Scion TC. It was like my little teenage boy car, you know? And um, I got T-boned by a Dodge Durango of uh, teenage girls going 50 and a 30 blowing a light. Nice. And, um, I remember only flashes of it. I remember someone, I remember seeing my dead body, honestly, outside of, um, outside of myself. I remember vividly an image of the boyfriend from when I was, you know, a teenager who killed himself. I remember seeing him and saying, Oh, I'm ready to go home now. And I remember looking at him and him saying, no, it's, you have work to do. And I remember waking up being restrained in the ambulance Um, there was a woman, I I just remember this woman kneeling on me and holding me down. I found out later it's because I was pulling all of the IVs out. They were trying to give me fluids and I Mm. thought they were trying to drug me because I had brain damage and, um, she was restraining me to try to help me, but she was still restraining me. Right. Um, I got to the hospital. This is something that, you know, you want to talk about modern medicine. I already was in that mindset that like, at this point in my life, I didn't want drugs Mm -hmm. and they were going to give me morphine in the hospital. And I was like, don't give me morphine. But because I said no to the morphine, they wouldn't give me a Tylenol or any other painkiller because they said the doctor prescribed you morphine and the doctor went home. So I'm not allowed to give you anything other than what the doctor prescribed. So when I got to the hospital and refused morphine because I didn't want to be injected with something that severe, I'm like, even with brain damage, I'm like, there's an opioid epidemic. Don't give me drugs. (laughs) You know, that's what came out. When I said no to the morphine, they wouldn't give me anything else to dull the pain. So I got 39 stitches that were in the, I was pulling glass. I had 39 stitches to the right side of my face. And okay. I did it with no painkillers at all because it was morphine <laughs> or nothing in the hospital. And okay. I was like, you're not going to drug me. But you think about that, that like there's a, a patient in the hospital saying, I don't want heavy drugs, but the doctor left. I can't give you anything else to dull your pain. It's this strong stuff or nothing. Yeah. That actually happened. So yeah. why, why the, and I, and I probably already know this, but just to ask the question, why the adamancy on not, uh, not taking morphine? Because I saw the, the boyfriend that killed himself. Uh, it was a byproduct of doing a lot of drugs you know, oh, messed up okay. childhood and stuff like that. I probably did a lot of drugs after that. I lost a lot of friends very young from doing drugs. Okay. Uh, I'll talk about it later. It was after the accident, but my father ended up dying at 57 because of drug interactions that of drugs he was on 
prescribed by a doctor for depression. So it's just something that as I got more into a holistic lifestyle, I was really seeing the ramifications of, you know, to me, there's a big difference between smoking a little bit of weed and, you know, getting something that causes an epidemic and people get addicted to. I, I really just didn't want, I didn't want to be dulled out to the point where I wasn't in control of, of my body, you yeah. know, and, and I didn't want to go on anything that could be potentially addicted. I, addictive. I, I did a lot of work to get myself into a healthy place. And it was really important for me to maintain that. Yeah. Um, and I had brain damage, so I was just probably no, a little bit erratic. So on the flip side of that, thinking about it too, right? So getting 39 stitches and not having morphine, that does not sound pleasant. How it was you, very painful. Okay. How were you able, I mean, do you feel like, I guess, throughout all of this process that you had learned enough about how your body functions and reacts that you were able to kind of manage your way through that maybe prior to going through some of either your training or the yoga or anything like that? Honestly, at the time I, I was probably just in such a heightened state of fight or flight that I was in, but I didn't, uh, I didn't care after they gave me all the stitches to my face. I will tell you, I caved. It was so painful that I was like, just drug me with anything. And then (laughs) by, by the time I left the hospital, they gave me lots of oxycodone and everything. And I got home and I'll tell you, I took nothing. I treated everything. I signed myself actually out of the hospital against doctor's orders. Mm-hmm. Um, I went home and I started doing things holistically. Okay. I eventually went to a neurologist right after because I, I did, uh, I got a brain scan. I had frontal lobe, parietal lobe and corpus callosum, which is the center of your brain, okay. not concussions, but traumatic brain injuries. So I went to a neurologist to, you know, explore my MRIs. And he basically told me that I would have a permanent speech delay. I had a a stutter at the time or speech aphasia. It means like, so nominal aphasia is what happens when your parietal lobe is damaged. That means you say the wrong word. So I would say I'm standing on the flower instead of I'm standing on the floor. Mm -hmm. I would use the wrong word for things. I had a really bad stutter and a speech delay. And he basically told me that I needed to go see a psychiatrist to learn how to cope with my disability because he couldn't ensure me that it would get better. Okay. And, and I was like, well, I had frontal lobe brain damage, which has to do with impulse control. That's why they don't let a, like someone get car insurance or, you know, rent a car till they're 25. Your frontal lobe is fully developed at like 25, 26 years old. Okay. And that has to do with impulse control decision-making. So when you have frontal lobe brain damage, you don't have impulse control. Okay. So he told me I was going to have um, permanent, a permanent learning disability. Yeah. I was that straight A student who was smoking weed and still had a 4.0 average yeah. when I, You're like, mm, I was like, <laughs> don't you dare tell me I'm stupid. I went into his reception. Um, I'm not going to say what I called him, but it was a very, very <laughs> bad word in his reception. I screamed that out. And um, I was so angry. And I, I could say that anger was the driving force, anger and, and arrogance. Thank God I had a little bit of both that I just wanted to prove that son of a bitch wrong. And son of a bitch <laughs> is a lot nicer than what I called him in his reception. It was a full reception. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate that I knew so much about a holistic approach before my accident. Okay. But I mean, like getting out of back pain, okay, not having to go for spine surgery for scoliosis, that's great. But I was really in a position where I was like, I need to like put to practice all of this stuff that, sure. that I've been doing. Uh, 
I went on a 10 day silent meditation retreat. I took omegas. I changed my diet. I, I mean, I was meditating for an hour plus every day. I got body work because I knew different body workers. I did something called cranial sacral therapy. Okay. It took me a, the better part of a year and a half. I have no uh, idea what that is. Cranial sacral therapy is like an osteopathic uh, technique okay. where it can shift your cranial bones. Oh. Uh, there's a lot of bones in your skull. It's something that I practice now. Um, yeah. Really good for, they say it's, maybe proven, maybe not, but I would go to the cranial sacral therapist who was a physical therapist and he did that as well. Okay. And after he would do his work on me, I'd be able to read more sentences out of a book and actually understand what I said. It took me, or it took me probably the better part of a year before I could read something and have reading comprehension. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Like I'd be able to read the words and they would come out of my mouth, which right. was interesting, but I wouldn't know what I said. Like there would be no actual recollection of what I was reading and I couldn't remember huh. it or process it. What's the theory behind that, that process? I mean, just restructuring the, the bone in the head. Well, restructuring the bones our 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 cranial sacral system is we have our cranium or our skull and our mm -hmm. sacrum, which is the bone at the base of our spine. Okay. And we have our spinal column in between the connective tissue that surrounds all of it is called our dura mater. It's just, which means tough mother. It's the connective tissue that surrounds our skull, our spine, and our sacrum at the base of our spine. Okay. Inside of the dura mater and other sheets, there's cerebral spinal fluid. That's like, if you were to get like a spinal tap, they're going mm -hmm. into your cerebral spinal fluid. When you have trauma, the cerebral spinal fluid is not flowing optimally. I'm really breaking this down no, into terms. Yeah. And uh, when you can do certain pressure on different bones, if they're shifted the wrong way, yeah. it can actually get the fluid flowing better. And that mm -hmm. helps regulate the whole nervous system. Okay. That's a very like simplified way of describing it. D dumb it down to a way I understand. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> Basically the guy did stuff on my head and it got me reading again, hands okay. down. So I yeah. could say anecdotally, that's one of the things that saved my life, that and, and meditation. Okay. And by the time I was better, you know, I, uh, I really thought I was like, if I would have listened to what the doctor said was my prognosis mm -hmm. and believed him, I'd probably be a vegetable because there was a, a part of me that heard what he said. And I was like, why am I going to try to do anything? I have to learn how to cope. Yeah. And, and honestly, what got me to where I am today is, is not listening to a negative outcome and then doing things my own way. And, and in the process, in all of my study, you know, I, I'm a, I mean, it's funny, people tease, I have more letters after my name than in my name at this point. I'm a massage therapist. I practice cranial sacral therapy, myofascial release. I'm a yoga teacher who certifies other yoga teachers. I'm a holistic health coach. I'm an acupuncturist. I study Chinese medicine. So I have everything from, you know, Eastern medicine that's more holistic, but to be an acupuncturist in the United States, you have to pass boards in bioscience. I could give you a physical the same way your primary care physician would. So I have that Western medicine understanding as well. I ended up getting my, my degree in exercise physiology because for a hot second, I thought I was going to go into physical therapy. So that's even more Western medicine science. That's more of like a, a like a physical, like anatomical science. Yeah. And uh, I could say hands down, the main thing that will affect health, health outcomes is your thought process more than anything else, what you believe. And this is, 
if you want a dose of science, because everybody is talking about science nowadays, like they're, they're like they know science before any of this said, and I'll give you the simplified version. There's two parts, two main parts to your autonomic nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight flight. You've heard of that before, that mm-hmm. part of your nervous system and your parasympathetic, which is your rest, digest and repair. Our fight or flight nervous system is important to be in. You're probably a little bit in it right now, even though you seem relaxed, you're paying attention to what I'm saying. That's the part of our nervous system that gets things done. That's also the part of our nervous system when we're going to run away from the saber toothed tiger is going to say, I'm going to shut down your immune system. We don't need an immune system right now. We don't want to rest and digest and repair. We want all of your energy to go to your legs so you could run faster because the second you're resting and digesting and repairing, you're going to get eaten and you're going to end up dead. The parasympathetic nervous system is our rest, digest and repair. That's why people like people say when you eat right before you go to bed, you don't sleep as well because all of the energy is going to digesting your food instead of giving you a good night's sleep. That's also part of our nervous system that has to do with repairing our tissues. Our, uh, our bodies are meant to maintain something called homeostasis or balance. Our bodies were designed to heal themselves. That is the function of our physical body. And when we tap into our parasympathetic nervous system or that rest and digest nervous system, our body begins to heal itself from wounds to different states of chronic disease. Do you know what gets you into your sympathetic nervous system? or can get you into your parasympathetic nervous system, depending on the quality of them, Mm -mm. your thoughts. You can trigger a different part of your nervous system by how you think. If you're in fear, you will be in the sympathetic nervous system. That will lessen your body's ability to heal itself. It will suppress your immune system. When you're in an energy of love and peace and relaxation, as hippie as it sounds, it puts you in the part of your nervous system that supports your body to work work optimally. As human beings sitting at computers all day, we get into the sympathetic nervous system, the part of our nervous system that helps us run away from a saber-toothed tiger, not when we're running, when we're sitting on our asses doing nothing. And we wonder why in our country, we have such shitty health outcomes. Because we're in that part of our nervous system that we're supposed to use when we're active, when we're sitting down and doing nothing. And we wonder why our health is so diminished. So how, how does that work when, as far as getting yourself how to, God, again? So this, this, it's funny, this conversation, I, I'm understanding what you're saying, but it's so far outside of stuff that I think about on the daily that I'm like, I have to really like digest like how. <laughs> so when, when you say that it's a matter of your thoughts to get it from one system to another, what types of thoughts or, or mental states or process do you have to go in maybe to focus on one system or another, if that question is even valid? That's, that's a very valid question. And I have, I have an answer for you. Most of us are not used to regulating our thoughts and having control over our mental state. Most people are reactive. They live their whole lives in a reactive way something they read something you ever see people on social media it's like so entertaining to me it's like you see a meme and they're angry yep. and they're they're keyboard warriors i had and one guy ripping me a new world. one about grammar yesterday so 
it's it's so funny. It's like people could read something on a computer and you know what happens when they become a keyboard warrior, their blood pressure is going up and their immune system is going down and their cortisol is raising cortisol is, is, uh, anti-inflammatory that, you know, like someone getting prednisone, if you have like an infection, like it's kind of like those same kind of hormones in your body that will be, but like, what does that do? It suppresses your immune system. It gets rid of inflammation because they think you're running from the saber tooth tiger, but you're sitting on your ass and you're reading a meme and you're getting all amped up because of what you're thinking. People are so reactive that they see that meme and the time between reading it and getting pissed off, there's like no delay and it just happens because they're not in control of their thoughts. They're reacting. The one way, in my opinion, to be able to harness the power between the, the instant or the thing that happens and your reaction is meditation. It's mindfulness. It's breathing techniques. It's learning on a daily basis how to do something to find your center. And then it's almost like time spreads out a little bit. We're so used to having an instantaneous reaction to something. Like you ever touch, touch a hot stove and you pull your hand away? Mm-hmm. That's, that's very good. That's protective. That makes sure you don't keep your hand there and burn all the skin off. But when we react that way with our emotions and we're always in that like quick trigger state, then we don't have the ability to say like, hey, going into like moving your hand from a hot stove saves you. Getting pissed off at a meme actually puts you into a really unhealthy state. But when we can as individuals do self-regulating things on a daily basis, the space between the thing and the reaction broadens. And then you can have a choice. I'm going to get angry right now, or I actually don't really need to get angry. I could see the picture and step back from it. That's maybe like a simplistic answer, but I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does. I, it's, it's interesting because of how reactionary everybody is or how people are now and how easy it is to not take a half a second to pull yourself out of that situation, right? Just to be like, well, shit, I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you know. Um, okay. Okay. What next? I'm yeah. totally like still like processing. Cause like I said, it's just, it's stuff that like, I, like I said, I don't think about a lot of this stuff any or at all. So, you know, it's funny and I hope I don't get this like censored now. Cause you're not allowed to talk about things on the internet anymore, but it's, it's interesting. I actually put out a piece on this the other day. I, uh, I read, um, someone put up a post on social media that I read and it was somebody that was putting up a post saying, I believe Everyone has different opinions, but this person said, I believe that we should have informed consent and no one should be mandated into a medical decision. Everyone should choose what things they want to do medically with themselves. I live in New York. There's lots of vaccine mandates. There's lots of mandates going on right now. And some people want them and other people don't want them. So I saw that he put this post up and then I I was rubbernecking. It's kind of like when you see a car accident, you have to like slow down and look. I clicked and I read his comments. And one of the comments was a person saying, and and I agree, I believe in medical freedom. I'm going to stand there. I'm a holistic person. I believe you should choose your own medical outcomes. You know, great. And one of the person like who commented said, you would feel differently if you knew someone close to you who died. So I put out a 10 minute piece the other day. I was like, that person 
is absolutely right. He might feel differently if he knew someone who died. You know why? Because he would feel angry and sad and scared and upset. He would be grieving. And I remember after my father died, everyone told my mother, don't do anything for six months. That was the advice they gave. They gave her, they gave us lots of wine. Edible arrangements were very annoying. They gave us lots of wine and they said, don't do anything for six months. And my mom went back and forth because my mom and dad were business partners when he was alive. And she was like, I should sell the business. I should sell the house. I should do this. I should do that. She thought about it all, but she did nothing Mm -hmm. because every action that she would have taken at the time now in retrospect would have been the wrong action. Yeah. So I said, I'm like, and that's exactly what we're talking about. This person, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People are so emotional. And a lot of people are not trained to be able to see that space between their emotions and the reaction. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, yeah, he might feel differently if he knew someone who died because he'd be grieving, because he'd be sad, because he'd have a lot of things going on in his head. But how we feel blurs reality. And it doesn't allow us to see the big picture and necessarily make a choice that's going to be in the best interest of our health. Yes, reactions are good when you touch a hot stove and you pull your hand away, but emotional reactions put us in a place, which is so ironic with everything going on in the world, put us in a place where we're less healthy because of how we're thinking. That is what happens when we are emotionally reacting. We diminish our health, hands down, because our bodies can't function optimally. So how have you learned maybe to educate or handle, maybe even for yourself, um, those emotional responses, right? So in the moment, right, instead of getting mad, oh, and I'm going to hit my mic, instead of getting mad, how do you, how have you learned or maybe teach people to be like, okay, don't get mad just yet. Hang on to it for a sec. Separate the emotion from it. Why are you mad? You know, it's, it's funny. I think it's, it's a process and it's not about just doing it in the moment. It's everything that you do outside of those moments. So I I could say at this point, I have a a, a meditation practice that ebbs and flows, but that's been a big part of my life for, you know, going on, you know, the better part of almost half my life at this point. I remember when I first started having more like mindful awareness, like I used to be, I used to be the most angry driver ever pre-car accident. I would like, and I'm in New York. I, w- I was like the stereotypical New Yorker. I was just slamming on my brakes. I was opening up my window. I'm giving people the finger. I'm like screaming at you, you know, over like someone going slow. I was like a lunatic. And then as I got more into yoga, I would catch myself. And in the beginning, I'd see myself putting up the middle finger and then I'd grab my hand and put it down and I would be quiet about my anger. And I noticed I shouldn't do it. Then eventually it got to a place where I was like, I'm a little angry, but not enough to give my finger and I'm taking a few breaths. Then it got to the point eventually where someone would cut me off and I'm like, and then I would be like, maybe they're rushing somewhere. It could have been an emergency and I don't know what's going on. So I'd make excuses for them in my mind to rationalize why I shouldn't be angry, but I was still less angry. Then it got to a place where I was like, okay, that was a little dangerous. And now, honestly, On most days, if you get me on a bad day, it might be a little different, but on most days, someone can cut me off. And if it really didn't make a difference, I don't even hunk because I don't care. You know know what I mean? (laughs) But but like that is like many, many years of like watching my thoughts and watching my reaction. And in the beginning, it's restraining the reaction. And then eventually over time, when you do enough stuff, I mean, not that I never get angry. I do sometimes, but not the way that I used to. And it's in the beginning, it was making myself less angry or catching myself and then restraining it. And now it's just like, 
things don't seem to get as much of a rise out of me. And it's just because I'm in a more centered place within yeah. myself. Was that pretty hard to start to do? Like recognizing instances like that? Like I, I feel like when I get frustrated, it happens very quickly. Right. Um, so maybe if somebody's listening, that they're like, man, I, I, I do get frustrated and I don't want to get mad and I don't want to honk anymore. Like how, how conscious of a decision was that and how difficult was that for you to start? Well, I, I can't say it's like a byproduct of just one thing, but, sure. but I will say that the biggest, I would say the biggest piece that's coming to me in all this is letting myself feel my feelings and not judging them. Mm-hmm. I see that I'm so angry, but I got to tell you, like, honestly, I would have never wanted to admit this. Like I teach yoga and everything else. I guess I was just an angry person and it just happened to come out in the car. It's yeah. usually not the person who's cutting you off. That's making you angry. I had a lot of, you know, like repressed anger in myself and it like make like, and I'm just like making it up. It could have been like, it wasn't really like I'm angry about the car. It was like someone went in front of me and they disrespected me or something like that. <laughs> and then over time I was like, okay, well, where did I feel disrespected in my life where it wasn't resolved or so on and so forth. And then exploring that over time, I'm just exploring that over time and then coming to peace with the emotions that triggered that in the first place, that emotion didn't have the same power anymore. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That does make sense. Okay. So I have a question going back a little bit, if that's cool. When you got out of the hospital, right. And started working through trying to find ways to overcome um, the TBIs, the speech, stuff like that. Um, a couple of questions, really. One, we'll start here. How did you start to go about trying to find um, the next best thing to help treat your problems? You know, I, I would just say that this is this is a blessing. Okay. By the time I, I this happened four days after I graduated my first yoga teacher training. Before that, I did this you know, seven, 800 hour energy work modality called polarity therapy at the same place. I just had graduated massage school a year and a half before. So I was so immersed and saturated in the holistic wellness world. I mean, I had a friend I went to massage school with who lived in Brooklyn at the time that drove out once or like every other week and would stay with me for three, four days, bring me to appointments and then give me body work every day. I had, you know, teachers and other practitioners and colleagues that were like coming to my house. And I had a, a a yoga teacher that I, I I studied with at the time. And I was doing meditation privates with her two, three days a week. So I was just so immersed into a community at that point that I right away was like, I was getting massage and body work three, four days a week. I was doing meditation classes. Um, I wasn't able to do physical yoga because the cerebral hemorrhaging was so intense that I was not able to get my heart rate up or, you know, put my head below my heart for several months. But I had people left and right coming out that were all holistic practitioners. And, uh, and I was already enrolled in a program for nutrition. So I just started, you know, you know, finding like supplements and, you know, and doing everything that I could do in every natural way to make myself better. And I'll tell you, it's, it's so interesting, you know, I am somebody that has not taken pharmaceutical drugs for anything in, you know, like the past 15 years, I lowered my cholesterol a hundred points. Naturally. I had a doctor tell me I'd need to go on Lipitor as, as like in my early twenties. Cause my cholesterol 
cholesterol was so high and I was already a vegetarian and it ran in my family. Yeah. And I did supplements, you know, and, and changed, you know, some dietary things and did essential oils and all this stuff that I wouldn't be allowed to say because it's not <laughs> FDA approved, but I lowered my cholesterol a hundred points. Right. I am 35 and I have no back pain. And, and you know, what's interesting that makes me think too, after that car accident, I was, I got out of back pain by then I was in a lot of pain. The damage to my physical body, my left leg was twice the size. I, it was black aside from uh, the to my face. Yeah. And I had some low back herniations. They, it was fine. I was like in like pain from being beaten up, but nothing terrible happened until about, I think it was like maybe like 2017 or 2018, mm-hmm. probably like 2018. I was sitting down seeing a patient. I was like working on their head. I stood up. And I collapsed to the floor. So 2018, I was like, you know, maybe it's only a few years ago, maybe 2019, I collapsed to the floor. Um, Instantaneously, I was in the most excruciating pain of my life. The pain was worse than initially that car accident with the 39 suggest to my face. Sure. You know, people talk about like nerve pain and back pain, like yeah. yeah, I was treating back pain. I had no concept of what I was treating until I felt it. my business partner was at my house with me. She had to get me like out of bed, it, like to a doctor. It took her over an hour to physically move me because that's how bad the pain was. I got to, uh, I got to the ER. We, we go in there and all they wanted to do was give me a prescription for oxycodone. Now I'm a body worker at this point. I was in acupuncture school. I have been working in pain management for so long. So this is even well after my car accident. And I was like, and I go to the doctor and I like have tears streaming down my face because it was extremely painful. I was like, I want an MRI because you need to get a prescription to get an MRI that you need to get a prescription to get a scan. And you know what she told me? She couldn't give me a prescription for an MRI. I'd have to go to a chiropractor. I'm like, I am in the ER because I, I couldn't even walk. Yeah. I had a walker and I had people carrying me. And I was, I was really afraid that I, you know, I've studied the body. I'm like, I could have had something called quadriquinus syndrome. I could have had a nerve impingement that would have paralyzed me. Like I like literally went from standing up to like, not able to like move my legs. Right. And she's like, she was just prescribing me, uh, oxy oxycodone. And, and I look at her, I was like, Again, I'm like, there is an opioid epidemic and your painkillers are not going to fix my back. Why don't you give me a scan so we could see what's wrong? I can't give you a scan. I'm like, well, I, and I, and I said to the doctor, I was like, well, there's two reasons I'm going to have an inability in my life. Well, it's one reason it's a nerve impingement. The nerve impingement is either coming from my spine, which we'll see on a scan, or it's coming from my muscles. Give me a muscle relaxer. And she looks at me like, who are you? And I'm like, Give me a muscle relaxer because if the muscle relaxer works, then I don't have a nerve impingement from my spine and I don't need spine surgery. I ended up calling a chiropractor that I know she wrote me a prescription. (laughs) I ended up getting some scans. You know, I had to go to a neurologist and everything else, but I had one person tell me that I probably would need surgery. And then I I actually found a good neurologist that I went to who said the other doctor was an idiot, but my first (laughs) consult told me that I was going to potentially need surgery. I was like, Okay. Then um, I ended up just doing everything holistically. But, it, and this is where I'm just like so passionate about the work I do. I'm lucky that I have the education that I do and the background that I do that the doctor wouldn't give me a scan to find out what was wrong. And she was going to prescribe me drugs that I was like, lady, that's going to dull my pain, but it's not going to fix the issue. Yeah. And I might have a severe issue, 
And God forbid it was a severe nerve impingement. The longer it took me to get a scan, if I did need spine surgery, it could have paralyzed me. Right. And, and, and I'm like, and I'm like, thank God I'm educated that I could be an advocate for myself. But a lot of other people can't advocate for themselves because they don't have the background to know. And I'm like, most people aren't going to be like, doctor, you're wrong. Give me this prescription instead. And she looked at me like, oh my God, I'm not used to people speaking to me that way. I'm like, they should, they should. <laughs> so what, what do you want people or what do you think people should know about holistic medicine? Right. So talking to you now, right. I feel like I have a few things that I could certainly go read up on. Right. Cause I, I don't know honestly much of anything about it. So what do you feel like people like me should, should take away from this and, and maybe go look at for our, our own selves. First thing that comes to mind is I think holistic medicine gets a bad rap because there's a bunch of people who are really hippie out there, love hippie people, but they make it seem so esoteric. The difference between holistic medicine, true holistic medicine and allopathic medicine and allopathic medicine is the foundation of our Western medicine system. Okay. So allopathic medicine means that it looks at symptoms and it treats symptoms. That is the foundation of our healthcare system in the United States. I don't know why they call it healthcare because symptoms mean you're sick. So in Western medicine, they treat symptoms to make them go away. It has nothing to do with health. If you're sick, we give you this and that treats the symptom. Okay. The opposite holistic medicine, which usually just gets brushed off as like an alternative to drugs and natural, and that might be part of it. Holistic looks at the whole being. Um, Eastern medicine is very holistic. It'll say, let me look at the individual, see what's going on with them constitutionally. And then based on that, let me treat the person and then their symptoms go away. So in holistic medicine, we treat the individual person. In Western medicine, we treat the symptom. I can give you a very simplistic example that, that I, I, I give to people in training with me a bunch. There's three main reasons that people will get a headache. One is dehydration. If you're dehydrated, you'll get a headache. The second is muscular tension. If you have tight neck muscles, you'll usually have a headache. And the third is stress. Even if you don't have tight muscles and you're not dehydrated, if you're stressed, you'll get a headache. Western medicine says, give them an Advil because that will dull your pain. Three different reasons for a headache. They're just gonna give you the same drug. Now an Advil or an Aleve or an aspirin comes with side effects and it's a, it's a less strong drug. So you don't realize the side effects usually right away, but like aspirin, for example, you put it, you, you take it, it goes into your belly, it pokes little holes, salicylic acid and all that other stuff. And long-term taking aspirin all the time, not so good for you. You might not see the immediate side effect. It might dull your pain, but you're going to get a headache again. Cause there's an imbalance in a holistic approach. They'd say, well, why does this person have a headache? If they did, they're dehydrated, I will give them a glass of water. Their headache will go away. They don't need the aspirin. If they have tight neck muscles, they'll get a massage. Their headache will go away. If they're dehydrated, I'm not going to give you a massage. It's not going to do anything. If you're stressed, maybe teach you a breathing technique or self-regulating techniques, your headache's going to go away. And, and that's the big thing here. And that's a big problem in our society right now is we want to treat everything symptomatically and not realize that the way that we can optimize health outcomes is to treat people. That's why a neurologist told me that I had to learn how to cope with my disability because in his mindset, brain cells don't grow back. And I'm like there, I'm like, well, neuroplasticity, I could create new pathways or <laughs> whatever else. 
but it's like they see what they do and then they, they don't give you options to treat you the way that you'll be able to optimize results. You think about it like blind people, for example, something shut off in them. Their, their other senses get heightened to, to, to optimize things. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like there, there's always a way for people. And I just think that our, our sick care system, especially in the United States, not only doesn't give the best outcomes usually, uh, you know, for people, especially with chronic stuff, like if I had anaphylactic shock, I'd go to the hospital and get an EpiPen. I'm not going to my Reiki master. I'm not dumb. I don't need energy. <laughs> I need an EpiPen. But, yeah. You know, like th- that makes sense. I think allopathic medicine is really good for acute, some like acute things, but long-term it's not changing the individual. And not only do we perpetuate disease with all of these drugs with side effects, we also perpetuate a sick care mindset, which says this person can fix me because that's who I'm going to go to to fix me. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm lacking. And then our mindset actually diminishes our immune system. And it's a vicious cycle of just getting and staying sick. I obviously really believe in this stuff. <laughs> no, it's great. How often do you get, how often do you have to break people out of that mindset? I mean, is that a difficult thing to, to when you get somebody that wants to come learn from you or train under you where they're like, well, I'm so used to having to go to a doctor and you're like, okay, well, that's not the purpose of what we're talking about. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think there's, and this has been like a, a big process for me. You can't, you can't help anybody more than they want to help themselves. Um, it, it's interesting in yoga, people talk about their, their gurus and stuff like that. And I've had someone be like, you're my guru. And I'm like, no, I'm not your guru. And this is something that I'll say as a holistic practitioner, I am not anyone's healer. I actually find that completely arrogant to say, and I am not going to say I'm a healer because what that does is it takes away from the only individual that will ever do healing work for you. And that is you. I could be a facilitator of your body, you know, doing better. I could be a facilitator and a guide and I can show you things that, you know, I know that's going to help you. But at the end of the day, it's each individual on their own, um, you know, doing the work for themselves. Like in acupuncture, someone can come to me to quit smoking. I can put some points in your ear that are going to help with the addiction, but the outcomes are all based on how much someone really wants to quit. Are you there because your wife said you had to go? Are you there (laughs) because this is what you really want to do? So there's always going to be people that are looking for, to, to feel better. And a lot of people come to holistic practitioners and they have the expectation that you're just going to be the natural fix for them the same way their pharma pharmaceutical drug is going to be. And I just educate people. It's not, it's not the same. It's a lot of work to actually get and stay healthy naturally. It's a lifestyle. And, and I, I want to be there to help people, but I, at this point have found that I am serving people better, not trying to convince anybody, you know, if anybody has a question, I'll always be a guide, but they have to come to it on their own because me telling you how to live your life is, is, is disempowering. People yeah. need to discover that for themselves. And then I 100% want to be their advocate once they want to know. I, I want to help them see things in a different way. But I, I don't believe anybody should force their way of living on anybody else. I don't know if that was like a direct answer. but Nope, that sounds perfect. Okay, I, I am out of questions. What, what, else, what else should we cover? What else do you feel like we might be missing? Uh, maybe, I guess just like the, the take home and all this. You know, you said like, where are you now? And- and, uh, you know, how did you get there? 
the biggest thing I could say, you know, for myself with, with even opening a, a business over COVID, opening the food truck, my, my business partner at Emerge was like, Vanessa, are you crazy? And I'm like, maybe, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she's the best business <laughs> partner. She's, she's my business partner in the food truck. And we have a, a third partner that we, uh, we met through the yoga studio over COVID, um, doing an online yoga teacher training. It's kind of amazing how like a crappy situation turns into something awesome. But I've just seen that the, the most diminishing thing for people is when they think things are impossible. And there's always going to be someone telling you that you can't, or you're not good enough, or you're not strong enough, or there's going to be this negative outcome and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I, I got to say, like, I'm here, like, I think I, I told you when we chatted last week that I ended up doing a TEDx talk on how a neurologist told me I'd have a speech delay for the rest of my life. Yep, yep. I have no problem speaking, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I think for a lot of people, they end up limiting themselves because of other people's projections. My governor called me not essential. I just went into a business that was. And there's <laughs> a possibility. I can't tell you how many clients I see on a daily basis that are like, I was told surgery was the only option. And sometimes I have people that I'm like, there's nothing I could do for you. You need to have surgery. I'm not going to be like arrogant and say I could fix everybody. Right. A lot of times people are told that that's their only option. And that's not true. And they just need someone else to advocate for them and say there is another way. Whatever you think out there is going to limit you, the, you got to realize the only limitation is what you instill on yourselves, you know, or what you instill in yourself. Anything is possible. Mindset really matters. And um, it's not just affecting how you are emotionally and in this world, but, but that more than anything else affects you physically. And I think now more than ever, people need to realize this you, you, I'm pointing. It's yeah. a podcast. Your head, your <laughs> mind is making you sick and keeping you sick more than anything else in the world. And you get that clear and you get that straight. That is going to support you living optimally in my belief system until it's your God given time to leave this planet and go on to the next thing. But uh, hands down, nothing's impossible if you don't limit yourself. Okay. I love it. That is great advice. Okay. So if you're comfortable, where, uh, where can people find you? What's the name of your, your, your businesses now? So it, it's, it's funny. I'm in the process of changing my business name. So you will okay. see emerge yoga and wellness is the old name. We're changing the name to emerge integrative wellness, nice. but we're still emerge yoga wellness.com or emerge YW.com. Uh, I'm located in Massapequa, New York. That's on Long Island and yoked food truck. We're uh, yoked FT on Instagram and yoked food truck on Facebook or yokedft.com. And we usually park at Emerge unless we are doing other events. Um, <laughs> you can find me at the yoga studio if I'm not at a brewery. And uh, yes, I have found more balance. I'm all about the craft beers. And then go get your acupuncture too. Find balance in your life. You'll be happy, healthy, all that good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, I'll make sure all of that is linked in the episode description. 
Well, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Vanessa. Uh, linked in the episode description will be uh, 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 links to both of her companies, uh, Emerge Integrative Wellness and a Yoked Food Truck as well. Um, but otherwise, I hope you all have a great Monday, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank <laughs> you.